name's Joel Seymour. I just learned I should have preached a whole lot less when I was on staff here because I never got a woo-hoo uh, for 24 years. And so, I, too late now. Um, so anyway, uh, well, it's been a minute since I've been here. I think since the last time I've been here, I've been in Toledo and Michigan and Wisconsin and Houston and San Antonio and Austin, Cincinnati. And that was just since two weeks ago. And so it's been a little crazy. So it is good to be here. I think the last time I was here was Super Bowl Sunday, which was a great, you know, Sunday, except like the Bengals weren't playing, you know, so I was a little down. But uh, I'm now in the period, I don't know if anybody else is in this period now, but I'm now in this period of like no real sports. Sorry, Greg, Chase, and and, uh, Blue Jackets, but uh, uh, just like I struggle with like I'm in this in-between period, right? Like um, football's done, XFL does not count, Um, uh, you know, and and it's kind of hard, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for like the next sports season, which would be the Reds, yeah, yeah, what, you're true fans, Uh, I mean like Waiting for the Reds is like waiting to eat a tin pack of White Castles. Like it's short-term enjoyment and long-term misery, you know, like <laughs> for you and everybody else. And so, and that's spoken as a Reds fan. You know, I'm, I like the Reds, but I've been at this a minute. You know, it's sad to say, but you know, as a Ohio sports fan, I mean, I've, I'm tending to say now, well. Uh, Man, there's always the Bengals. You couldn't say that without sarcasm for like 30 years. And now you can wait for them. I mean, I'm not watching Ohio State men's basketball or girls' basketball. That's frustrating, you know. So kind of in this in-between state. NASCAR, really? Okay. I did not know that was a thing still. Uh, I used to be into NASCAR 20 years ago. I called it NAPCAR because I usually would watch a few laps and fall asleep, and I liked it. I actually was a fan. I wasn't making fun of it. I just took naps. Anyway, uh, I, I digress. <laughs> the clock says I'm running out of time. Um, so, but here's the deal. Uh, Christy and I are Bengals fans. Life, much to our daughter Emmy's chagrin, life stops when the Bengals are playing, and we just like watching them. So we were super excited January 2nd when they were playing Monday Night Football. And so we're excited. We had special snacks, a special meal. Christy made like buffalo chicken dip for, you know, like a Monday night game, you know. So it's, it's special at that point, just buffalo chicken dip. So we're having fun. And then, as you know, I mean, everybody, even if you're not a football fan, you know what happened in that game is that uh, DeMar, defensive back for the Bills, uh, DeMar Hamlin tackles T. Higgins, and in that tackles, uh, T. hits his chest just right, and his heart stops. In fact, they restart his heart on the field several times. Uh, it's never happened in NFL history. They cancel the game right then. Um, it took a while, um, and as it's taking a while, ESPN doesn't know what to do. They're talking. They're sharing what they can. They throw it back to the studio. Of course, the studio doesn't know what's happening, and all this is happening. And for like the next couple days, all that you see on social media and news, I don't care what news you watch, uh, right, left, middle, whatever, you just look at Twitter, whatever you're getting your news about, everything was about DeMar Hamlin. And most of it was what? Pray for DeMar, right? I mean, the bills come out. Like a sports organization comes out and makes a statement, we believe in the power of prayer. Um, I'm watching ESPN the next day, and something remarkable happens that I had to like afterwards go, did I actually just see what I just saw? And it's this clip. Here's about a minute and a half from uh, the next day after DeMar's in the hospital. Um, 
Football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for It him. is. Damar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. <laughs> Amazing, wasn't it? I mean, absolutely amazing that here on broadcast or cable TV, somebody just like prays, like a real prayer. And it was powerful. And again, I had to say like, what was I watching? And, and as you know, the story turns out well for Damar. He, he gets out of the hospital miraculously within a week. Uh, he's at the Super Bowl, uh, you know, which is miraculous too. He credits Christ in prayer along with the staff at the University of Cincinnati Hospital. Um, it's a phenomenal testimony. And yet, if we're honest, it's, it's, it's a bit weird because, like, it, it's, all, it's a little bit, I don't know, hypocritical. I'm not sure what the right word is, but our culture has such a, a weird kind of relationship with prayer. So at times, we make fun of spiritual things and praying to Jesus or God or actually believing in prayer. After horrific tragedies and, and violence and mass murders, you know, at times you'll see all the thoughts and prayer comments, and then there'll be people who, who kind of, you know, make fun of the thoughts and prayer comments, and I actually get that because, like, thoughts and prayer is actually easier than actually taking meaningful action to make change in our world, so I get that kind of play, but it's, we just have this weird relationship with prayer, and yet at this moment, when we all knew nothing else would, would help, Right? There was zero you could do to help Damar. Uh, and honestly, it was on the edge if the medical people could do anything. Um, we knew like the one thing we could go to is prayer. And like the whole world, the whole country did it. And we actually did it on TV, which is amazing. Why do we pray? You know, is it, is it just a Hail Mary? Forgive my Catholic friends in the audience. Is it just kind of a Hail Mary we throw up when it's a last-ditch effort, kind of, kind of like this was? Um, or is there something else in prayer? Why, why pray? Have you ever prayed for something and it's not been answered? And, like, actually, you know, like, when you're thinking through, like, if there's a prayer that, you know, I didn't ask for a new Mercedes, God, you know, I just asked for transportation to and from work. A beater car would be great right now, right? Um, and you don't get it. Like, it, it seems to be the right thing. Or you're praying for a loved one who's, who's sick, and, and, and there's no earthly reason why it would be good for them to be sick. And you pray, and they get worse. Why, why pray? Why do we pray? 
Um, you pray for your child to be protected, and, and then they get hurt. And you go, why, why did I pray? Um, perhaps you've prayed about a decision before, and as you prayed, you thought you had the answer, you make the decision, and it doesn't turn out the way you thought. Like, why do we pray? Now, maybe you've seen your prayers get answered, um, or maybe you know some answers uh, to the question of why pray, but, but the why part might not be hard for you. Like, you've got that down, but it's like how to do it. How do we actually pray? Like, maybe you're the kind of person that you pray, and it just seems like your words are bouncing off the ceiling. Or you, you struggle to start. Like, I don't even know how to start to pray. Maybe you fall asleep in prayer. Once in college, uh, my youth pastor came down to visit me at college, and we went over to a professor's house who was a good, dear friend of mine, and I, I can't even remember the situation, but the three of us decided we needed to intercede for a situation. I can't even remember, but intercede means that like you're praying for a situation, and you're interceding to God. You're saying, God, get involved in this situation. So we were, I can't remember the situation right now, but we were praying. It was later at night, and we're kind of going around the circle thing, like my youth pastor would pray, I would pray, then my, my friend Louis would pray, who was the professor and so we just do this a few turns and we're praying and and so my youth pastor Jeff prays then I pray and we're waiting for Louis to pray it's like his turn and like maybe, maybe it's just quiet maybe, maybe he's like in deep meditation um, and we wait and we wait and all of a sudden he goes <laughs> my youth pastor and I look at each other and then you're like well what do we do if you know it's 11 o'clock at night, and do we just kind of like walk out of the house and just leave? I mean, do we wake? Hey, we're praying. I mean, you just, there's no protocol for this, you know? And so finally, we just, we're just looking at each other, kind of giggling, looking at each other. And all of a sudden, I don't know how long it passed. I, I'm sure it was like a couple minutes, but for the sake of the story, it was 30 minutes, I'm sure. Um, and uh, preachers are allowed, you know, you kind of just stretch this out. Um, and uh, we're waiting and looking at each other, and all of a sudden he goes, <laughs> and then we could tell he kind of woke himself up with a snore. And he's, <laughs> and dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that <laughs> we made it for like one sentence, and then my youth pastor and I just started giggling and laughing out loud, and he's like, I didn't fool you guys. Well, no, you've been asleep like eight minutes, man. You fool nobody. <laughs> Maybe that's your prayer life. You just fall asleep. You might be asking, why should I be listening today as we answer the question, why pray? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, then I think you'd want to listen because you know prayer is actually what it means to be a, part, a follower of Jesus. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther had this to say, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Most Christians I know actually want a deeper prayer life. And if you don't want a deeper prayer life, most Christians I know are guilty about the prayer life they have right now. Like they, they're just like, oh man, I, I want one. I don't know how much I want it, but I just feel guilty. Like I should pray more. So I would hope you would listen. You know, over the next few weeks, we've started this series today called A Heart for Prayer. And we're going to learn about why we should pray over this series. And we're also going to learn, and I'm going to focus on the why today a lot, but you'll also learn like how to pray. And so I think you're going to learn a lot about prayer, but my hope would be, and I know Johnny's and the rest of the staff as they put this together, our hope isn't that you would just learn about prayer, but that you would actually have an increased prayer life. You would grow closer to Jesus throughout this series. And so let's dive in. Why pray? Why pray? Uh, if you would, turn to your Bible, in your Bibles to Luke 11. 
You know, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not said yes to making Jesus Lord, I hope you'll listen to, um, because I think you'll find the person of Jesus to be incredibly attractive, the kind of person you would want to be and to follow. And I think you'll find Jesus' prayer life incredibly attractive. As you turn in Luke chapter 11, to Luke 11, uh, we're looking at the Bible because we actually believe this book is the inspired word of God. We believe that it has authority and has power and it's truth and it's our guide for how to, how to live and follow Jesus. We're joining the story of Jesus at, after he's begun his ministry. He has many, many disciples. Many men and women are following him. They're learning how to do life the way he wants them to. He's, he's had like 12 that he's pulled in closer. They're called the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And he has sent them out on ministry and preaching trips. He's, he's also sent out 72 disciples on ministry and preaching trips. They went out to tell people about Jesus, about how God of heaven is breaking into this world right now and setting things right. That we as human beings can learn to live under God's heavenly direction. They've also went out with Jesus' authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. After one of these trips, Jesus takes some time to pray. Let's read this story and then answer the question, why pray? Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. As we're beginning to talk about why pray, one of the first things as I began looking at this passage, it's going to go into one of the most famous prayers in, in the whole Bible. What struck me as I began to ask the question of the passage, like why pray? I began to see something emerge that whatever prayer is, whatever kind of prayer life Jesus had, whatever the disciples had witnessed about Jesus' prayer life, it was something that was attractive. It was not something like, I mean, maybe you've seen some people do something that you don't want to do. Like, you go, ah, it's good for them, but, you know, you know, I don't want to do CrossFit. You know, I mean, that kind of thing, right? Like, you see them do something that's really good for them, you go, I'm not sure I'm up for that, you know? Whatever this thing, sorry, CrossFit, I'm not making fun, just pick something randomly. Um, whatever this thing is that Jesus is doing that's prayer, it's attractive, and they want it. Now, this idea, this, this story we're reading right now is not just, you know, we kind of picked it out of thin air, but it didn't happen in thin air. In fact, if you would read all of Luke, you would see many, many things the disciples had witnessed, uh, many prayers of Jesus and his prayer life they had, they had witnessed. In fact, if we were to go through them, I'll mention a few. Like if you go to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, you don't, don't go there now, we don't have time, but it's his baptism. And Jesus begins to pray, and it says the heavens open. Well, that's a thing. I mean, if, if I'm witnessing that, I'd like to have that kind of prayer life where I pray and the heavens open. You know, that's pretty good. You could go to like uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, and you see there where Jesus prays after successful ministry trip. Like there's preaching and forgiveness of sin and casting out demons and healing people. And then he, he goes to a quiet place and goes to solitude and he, he begins to rest in his, in, with his heavenly father and he, he gets recharged. And then the very next verse, verse 17, says that he goes to a new village and the power of the Holy Spirit was there to heal. And so, so the disciples have, have witnessed that. They would have seen in uh, chapter 6, 12 through 13, they would have seen that the night before Jesus, like he looks at all the disciples, hundreds of them, 
and he picks the 12 to be closest to him so he can really train them well. Um, in verse uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 6, we see that Jesus spends the whole night praying before this decision. They would have known that out of a, out of a fruitful prayer life comes uh, the, the ability to make good decisions. And they would have said, I, I want that. You could look at chapter 9, verse 18. Jesus prayed before asking Peter a very important question. Who do you say that I am? And in a couple of weeks when we do baptisms, that answer was so profoundly important you will hear that confession 2,000 years later. People will make it as they get ready to go under the water. You know, but Jesus prayed before asking this important question of Peter. Who do people say that I am? Same chapter, verses 28 and 29 of, of chapter 9. We see Peter and John and Andrew, they get invited to a mountain to pray with Jesus. And as Jesus begins to pray, he's transfigured, meaning he, he begins to, not only do they see the human Jesus, they begin to see who he really is for all eternity, the Christ. And it says his, his clothes shine like lightning. His hair is blazing white. He's in his glory. I'll take that kind of prayer life. That'd be good. They see in chapter 10, after he sends out the 72 to minister, to forgive sins, to, to preach the kingdom of God, to, to heal the sick, cast out demons, they come back. The 72 are all jacked up. They're stoked. Man, it happened. Like, you sent us out. We actually did it. And it, and it says, Jesus, full of joy. Like, you don't think of him that way, right? Unless you've watched The Chosen, maybe. But, like, Jesus, full of joy, prays and says, Oh, thank you, God, that these simple people, that you have, you have, you've seen them worthy enough that you would reveal who you are through me to them. He's full of joy. They want that. The disciples had seen all this, and they want what Jesus has. Whatever prayer is or can be for Jesus, prayer was enjoyable, joy-filled, wasn't drudgery at all. There are certainly times we can read about Jesus lamenting and grieving, particularly before his crucifixion, but his regular prayer practice was characterized by joy, and these disciples wanted that. So let's keep reading. So take a look at verses 1 and 2. Let's read those again. I don't know. I Verse 2, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And when Jesus does this, he, he begins, and, and you've likely heard this before, but I just want to reiterate it because I'm not sure how many of us Jesus followers uh, experience this, but when he starts, he, he says, I want you to start with this word. Not king of kings, although there's a place to say that. Not lord of lords, the lord of the universe, although there's certainly a place. Not creator of the world, although there's certainly a place to say that. Not Jesus, my friend, although there's certainly places and times to say that. I want you to start this way. Abba. And as you know. Jews often would refer to God as Father, but they never used this word when they referred to him as Father. Because this is the word of one and one and a half and two and two and a half and three-year-olds. When they're learning their first sounds as a Jewish baby and they go, Abba, 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 Abba. Right? Just like, you know, sorry, sentimental parents, but like when you're one and a half-year-old's going, Dad, 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 they don't know what they're saying. But you go, that's daddy. And everybody, oh, yeah, and everybody celebrates, right? 
Well, for Jewish babies, sorry, <laughs> it's like a killjoy here. Uh, it's like uh, Jewish babies, they go, oh man, he's, he's, called, he's saying daddy. Jesus says, this is how you approach God. Papa God. Daddy. There's an intimate boldness there, isn't there? Where you just can rush right in and talk to your heavenly father. Jesus is inviting all disciples, including us, into this intimate boldness. It's a word of tenderness and closeness. Abba, Father God, Papa God. John Tyson of Prey, New York City says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. Can I just say that again? Unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to to prayer. The disciples likely had tons of false images. We have false images. I mean, if you think of God as like far out there somewhere, really, really far away, it's hard to, to, to get into prayer if, he, if you see God as far away. But if you see him as a close and tender father who would never abandon you, it's easy to get into prayer. Sometimes our English translations make this tough. It says, Father, um, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, the, in English, for some reason, in, in, in the Gospels, most of the time the word heaven is used, it's plural. And I don't know if it's just because they don't want to confuse us, our English translators, but they usually uh, translate it singular. So even here, it's plural. It's our Father, who art in the heavens. You say, why would it be Plural. Well, because in both Greek and Hebrew language, the word heaven can mean the throne room of God, which is how we usually use it. It can mean outer space or the universe. It can mean the sky. When you walk outside, you could say, I'm looking at the heavens. But it also means the air around you. And so when we pray, our father was saying, Papa God, Daddy, the one who is king of heaven, who exists in all the universe, who's, who when I look up at the sky, you're there, but also you're the Papa God who is as close as the air that I breathe. This is the God I'm praying to. You're, you're right here. You're with me. So we have to get rid of a false image of God that he is far away. He's actually as close as the air that you breathe. Now, this father language can be difficult for you if you've had a distant father, an abusive father, a father who's abandoned you, or a selfish father. If that was your earthly father, you may have a false image of what your heavenly father is like, and you'll have to do some work to see your heavenly father as none of those things. He's not an abusive father. He's the father who's always close. He's the father who's promised to never leave you nor forsake you, and he is not a selfish father. He's the father of unconditional love. You know, when my kids were young and I would get home, my kids would almost always run out the front door to greet me. They loved being with me. I don't know why. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't want to be with me some days, you know? Like, but they would run out and it was, can we, can we play shoots and ladders tonight? Or the boys were like, can we play some basketball in the, in the court behind the house? I mean, it's all that kind of stuff, you know? And still to this day, I have a 17-year-old daughter, and more often than not, when I come home, she walks down the driveway to greet me, or she's waiting at the front door. Why? Because there's an intimate boldness there. There's a, I want to be close to my dad, right? 
this is the image that Jesus wanted his disciples to have. This is what it's like to be close to God and to have a prayer life. You'll have to abandon the false image in order to be drawn to prayer. Jesus experienced God as a father who was compassionate, protective, unconditionally loving, and always close. Now, if you're not following Jesus, you'll, you'll never know God as a heavenly father. I mean, chapter 10, remember, I, I quickly went through it when I was saying the kinds of prayers the disciples had witnessed. They had witnessed at the end of, of uh, chapter 10, when, when I said Jesus full of joy prayed, he, he, he thanked God that these disciples were the ones chosen for the Father to be revealed through who? Through Jesus. Like in, in fact, in the beginning of another gospel, John chapter 1, it says this, Yet all who receive him, the him here is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Like the only way you become a child of God is through Jesus, saying yes to Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to have intimate boldness with God, if you want to be able to rush up to God and call him Papa God, Daddy, if you want that kind of relationship where you have that freedom to do it and you even have the heart to do it, it only happens by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus comes into your life. He forgives you of your sins, which, believe it or not, sins are a barrier for us having that intimate relationship with God because sin makes us scared because we're scared of judgment. We know we are unholy in our honest moments, and to rush into a holy God is a scary thing. We should have some fear of the Lord at all times. But if we don't take care of our sin, we'll never rush to him like a father. So we say yes to Jesus, and Jesus forgives us of our sins. And then he pours his spirit into us, and he says, we become co-heirs with him. We become brothers and sisters of Christ, and we're adopted as children of God. And then we can have this intimate boldness. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you will never know God as a heavenly father. I'll give you a shot. Some of you right now that have not done that, you're, you're, there's something clicking in your heart. There's actually, your heart rate's almost up. There's like butterflies in your stomach. There's something like, I, I don't know if I've done that. Well, I will give you a chance to do that near the end of our service here in a few minutes where you can say yes to Jesus. And you will experience the love of the Heavenly Father in that moment. I promise you. So let's go back to our question. Why pray? Why did the disciples want to pray? They'd witnessed Jesus pray. It was enjoyable, attractive, desirable, all kinds of ministry, cool stuff flowed out of Jesus' prayer life. Most of all, they witnessed Jesus' prayer life as a worshipful event of his Father's company. Let me just say that again. Jesus' prayer life was the worshipful enjoyment of his Father's company. Now back to our question, why pray? You pray because prayer is the worshipful enjoyment of our Father's company. This is why we pray. Is it to get things? Well, I mean, yeah, you're asking for provision. I get that. Is it to be thankful? Absolutely. Is it, you know, is it to lament and to grieve? Absolutely it is. There's times for that in prayer. But the overarching way we should look at prayer is, is the model Jesus had, which is the exact thing that the disciples wanted. They wanted this worshipful, joyful time with the Heavenly Father, with God. If that's not your prayer time, or not at least a regular component of your prayer time, something's missing, and we hope over this series you gain that. So how can we have a prayer life that is this worshipful enjoyment of our Father's company? 
To a large extent, I think that's what our new series will answer to help us get there. But let me give you a couple suggestions. One is if you're struggling with prayer, then I would use Jesus' pre-made prayer to help you. And his pre-made prayer is found here in Luke 11. Let me read that, verses um, 2 through 4. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now volumes of books have been written about this. I don't have many minutes left to go through it all, but this can be a pre-made prayer that can help springboard you into worshipful enjoyment of your Father's company. You greet God as a loving Father. Think of the joy a child has running to his or her dad, or the joy, if you didn't experience that, the joy you wish you had running to your dad and what that would be like. This is what we can picture. We can say, Abba, Father, I rush into your presence. And next we pray, Hallowed be your name, which simply means I set apart your name. Hallowed means holy, to set apart, to sanctify. In the ancient world, to set apart a name means this name is a name that I come under. This is the name that commands me what to do. This is the name that protects me. This is the name who will comfort me. This name is above me. So you say, Abba, Father, I rush into your presence. I set apart your name. I come under your command and your protection. I want your guidance today. You're my Lord and my Father. And one of the things I'm asking you for is, may your kingdom come. May you break into my world today as I go to work or as I do family life or as I go to school. I want to see the things of heaven break into this world and let me be a part of it. Let me be someone who brings healing to broken relationships, healing to broken minds and bodies. Let me be a person who stands up for justice when others don't. I want to bring the things of heaven into this world. But I'm going to need your resources. So give me my daily bread. Provide for me. Not what I want. Maybe not even what I think I need. Give me what I really need for today. Provide that for me. Some translations, uh, actually, because the way the phrase is, it's actually, give me tomorrow's bread for today. It's, it's almost a prayer of draw out of the future when you have a new heaven and a new earth, pull those resources into my daily world. Then the scariest part of the prayer, forgive me as I forgive others. Literally, the translation would be, release me from my debts as I release others. So it's a prayer for forgiveness, but it's a prayer of for, for, for us to really genuinely experience the forgiveness of God and actually know that we've experienced it. We have to be the kind of people who release others from the debts they owe us. Sins they've committed against us. We have to be able to release that. And then finally, of this pre-made prayer that you could just use as a structure this week, daily, the final part is, don't put us to the test. You might have heard it as deliver us from temptation. The word temptation is actually test. It's a vague word. It is used both positively and negatively in the scriptures. It is used positively as in God will test us to prove us. But it's also used as the word temptation, which means Satan will test us in order that we'll fail. 
And when we pray, don't put us to the test. It's just a recognition that we're frail and broken. <laughs> don't we, help me avoid situations where I'm put to the test, Lord, because I'm not sure I'd pass. Help me, Jesus. So if you're struggling with a prayer life of the how, here's a pre-made prayer that you could use, and you could just go through this. But most of all, this framework should lead you to having a worshipful enjoyment of your Father's company. Now, we've also designed all kinds of prayer resources for you during this series. We have a daily prayer podcast where you can go to your podcast platform of choice and find this, and in the morning and evenings, there'll be a podcast that'll give you a scripture and an exam and a guided prayer. So if you're struggling to pray, use that as a tool to help get you jump-started to pray. We have prayer rooms, uh, March 3rd, 9th, 21st, and 27th. And so these prayer rooms are places where you can get together and learn how to pray. You know, one of the ways I accelerated at learning guitar was in college. I would take my guitar down to a couple people's dorm room where they played exceptionally well, and I did not. And I would just sit and hang out with them. And then I hung out in that community. I began to learn how to play more and more. Well, prayer's the same way. You'll learn to pray as you'll do it together. Do you notice on the pre-made prayer, by the way, how communal it is? The first three petitions are all singular requests of Father God. The last three are communal. Give us. Forgive us. Right? Don't put us to the test. There's something about prayer that, yes, we need an individual prayer life, but there's something about it that's supposed to be communal that we experience together. And so these prayer rooms... Uh, can be that for you. And uh, there's child care that you can sign up for too, which is helpful for those parents in the room. You know? We have a prayer wall where you can write out your prayers and then put it in that prayer wall back there. And we'll just see how many of us are praying and these requests that are on there. And it's like a testimony of that we're offering these things up to our Heavenly Father, trusting Him with them. Prayer is a worshipful event of our Father's company. I begin to end our time. Let's bring up the worship team right now. You know, I do a lot of imaginative prayer. And by imaginative prayer, I mean instead of just trying to have a blank mind, which I don't do any other activity with a blank mind. There's like no other activity that our mind is blank. Like we're always thinking. Like if, if you're thinking of a loved one, you actually see a picture of them, right? So I engage that same thing as I pray and what I've learned is that prayer is a worshipful enjoyment of our Father's company, but it seems like every time I do an imaginative prayer where I see Jesus, or I see my Heavenly Father, they almost always have a giant smile on their face. Kind of like Luke 10, Jesus full of joy. Because what I've learned is that prayer isn't just my enjoyment of my Father's company. I actually think my Heavenly Father enjoys my company. So we get together, and we pray, and we talk. That's all prayer is. It's conversation, and we talk. My prayer is, is that over these next six weeks, you will learn to pray in a deeper way, and you'll enjoy your Heavenly Father's company, and you'll know He's smiling right back at you. Imagine daily coming under your Father's protection and command, seeing His kingdom break in, around you and through you, providing what you actually need in life, making you the kind of person who is able to forgive others freely and to receive the forgiveness of God, avoiding the test, yet being more and more prepared 
to face the test. All because you experience prayer as a worshipful conversation, enjoying your Father's company. Would you stand with me as we worship?